Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, my loves. Welcome to episode three of Unfollowing Mum, a podcast for cycle breakers by someone who gets it. I am your host, Harriet Shearsmith, and today I'm going to be talking to you about quite a contentious topic, which sounds a bit ridiculous considering estrangement on the whole is quite a contentious topic, but this one I have found has divided even the estrangement community. So today I'm going to be talking to you about estrangement from grandparents, and that is in the sense of you choosing for your children not to have contact with your parents or aunt, uncle, other family member, depending on what your situation looks like. But specifically for this episode, there will be a lot of discussion around the legality of cutting off grandparents how to navigate that and then talking to your children about estrangement, how you have become estranged or why they themselves are also estranged. So you can see why it's quite a contentious topic. So let's get into it. Straight off the bat I'm going to let you know that my children do not have contact with my mum and that is through myself and my husband's decision. I take very much the stance that if you do not view a person to be safe, to be around you, be that physically or emotionally, then why would you view them to be safe around your children? And you know, I say that without any judgment whatsoever if you have chosen a different route, if you feel that your parents are perfectly suitable to be around your children, but just that your relationship itself was damaging and toxic, then I am a big believer in doing things the way that feels right to you. But I know there are an awful lot of people out there who have experienced emotional abuse or they have experienced narcissistic behavior and experienced childhood trauma and can see that there is a potential for their child to either experience the same or be weaponized against them and they don't want to be put in that position or allow their child to be put in that position. So the most sensible route is if I'm not going to be having contact with you, you will also not be having contact with my children because I don't feel that you are somebody who I can trust to be around them. And as a parent, I feel very strongly that we all have the right to look at what we feel is the best for our children. Absolutely nobody has a right to be in your life or in your child's life if you feel legitimately that they are going to cause damage to that person. 
I just want to cycle back there to a term I've just used of weaponizing. Because if you are an adult child who's cut off a parent and subsequently that means that they're cut off from their grandchildren, you will be all too familiar, I am sure, with being accused of weaponizing your children. Essentially, you are using your children to get back at or cause hurt to your parent. And that is just not the case at all. In my experience, estrangements happen because of a lack of accountability, a lack of willingness to change, to work on oneself, despite the fact that you will have been either asked outright or told repeatedly that your behaviour is damaging. I've never met or spoken to anybody who has never had a problem with a parent and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, decides without ever speaking to that parent that they are just going to cut them off. It simply doesn't happen. There might never be a sit-down conversation. There might just be a subtle withdrawing. But you can bet your bottom dollar that for years, decades, there have been challenges to the behaviour. There have been, please don't speak to me like that, mum. Or, dad, it really hurts my feelings when you do that. That's not acceptable. And a complete lack of accountability, a complete lack of change. And when you as an adult child start to witness those behaviours being used towards your child, there is absolutely no way that you're going to allow that to continue. So it's not a case of weaponizing your child when you choose for them not to have contact with your toxic parent. It's a case of protecting them. And that is our ultimate responsibility as a parent, is to protect our child, to ensure that our child grows up healthy, happy, and prepared to take on adulthood. In fact, those are the things that so many of us who are cycle breakers simply have not had in our lives. And to ensure that our children get those things, we need to be able to protect them, even if that means protecting them from people that should be able to love them. So I want to jump right in and go to the legality behind cutting off a grandparent from their grandchildren. And I think it's really important to note here that I know I have a lot of listeners in different places, but I am talking specifically about English law because that is what I know and what I have experience with. So there are no automatic rights in the UK for grandparents. And I say UK because that is what the law is supposed to be. However, there are differentials between Scotland and England, Wales and Northern Ireland. But the overall research that I have done is that there are no automatic rights to access for grandparents within the UK. Now, before you start thinking, okay, thank God, that does not necessarily mean that grandparents cannot gain access to children. And I'm going to go a little bit into that now. So whilst you have every right as a parent to revoke access to your child from a toxic grandparent, there are ways and means in which they can forcibly gain access. It does take time, which gives you a little bit of breathing space. If you are newly estranged from a parent and thus them from their grandchildren, then you can take a bit of a breathing space because they would need to apply to the court for permission to apply for a contact order, which is usually reserved for parents and guardians under the Children Act of 1989. It is something that takes quite a bit of time. 
and takes quite a bit of money. And the difference there between a parent and a grandparent is without automatic right to access, grandparents have to apply for permission to apply for a contact order. So even if they are granted permission, which is not uncommon when they are granted permission to apply for this contact order, it does not necessarily mean that they will be given contact order rights. It means that they have the permission to ask for those. It's kind of a um, a double process because they have to go to the court and say, hey, look, we're not being allowed to see our grandparents. We're stand-up citizens. It's amazing. Our child is just being completely unfair. And then the court has to go, mm, all right, you can apply. You can ask. And then the real process kind of begins. Just getting to that process, however, can cost quite a significant amount of money for a grandparent. Now, the reason that I know this and that I have put effort and time into researching this and understanding the legality is because at one time we were slapped with a solicitor's letter from my mum, letting us know that her intention was to take us to court for access to the children. And I speak to so many people who have either been in the same position or whose parent has been granted permission to apply for an access order. And you know what? It's absolutely terrifying. I remember my stomach just sinking when I received the letter. And we'd been back and forth with solicitor's letters because mum had been living in our annex and there was a legal dispute. So it wasn't something that I had never experienced from her before. But this came off the back of mum turning up at the kids' school and trying to arrange secret meetings with our eldest, encouraging him not to tell us we had to get the police involved and asking him to make sure that he came down to the bottom of the hill on what is called slip, where he can walk home on his own, and asking him to meet up with her every day after school so that they could have a chat. And she'd pitched this particular behaviour, which is illegal and which is harassment, as a desperate attempt from a grandparent to be able to have access to a child who needed to see them. And I'd use that to say, I'm going to be taking you to court so that I can get access to these children because we have such a good positive relationship that I know they want to see me just as much as I want to see them. And the rage, because I could see how much hurt that that behaviour had caused. I could see how upset my eldest child was and completely unnecessarily so. I mean, if you think about it logically, who in their right mind turns up to a child's school and tries to gain access to them, then encourages them to keep it secret from their parents if they're not doing something underhanded? Well, absolutely nobody. It was such a toxic behaviour and such entitlement as well. And I think for us, that was the big clincher when we knew absolutely not. There is no way that we will allow this. We will fight this tooth and nail. So this is the point at which I say to everybody who speaks to me about this situation, once you have received that letter and you know that there is an intention to take legal action, you need to seek legal advice of your own. You don't actually need a solicitor to reply to a solicitor's letter, which I, I wasn't entirely sure of. I thought, oh my goodness, do I need to do I need to solicitor up at this point? No, you don't. You can reply to a solicitor's letter yourself. You don't actually have to have legal representation if somebody sends you a solicitor's letter. But I do feel incredibly strongly that in these situations, if you know that the intention 
is to apply for a contact order and you know that the intention is to gain access to your children, then it is better to have someone who is professional, be that off your own back or through legal aid, fighting in your corner for you. And to send a solicitor's letter was not especially expensive, but it allowed her to know that we were deadly serious, that this was not going to frighten us into saying, okay, you can see them once a month, because absolutely not, not with that kind of toxic behaviour. And it allowed us to show that we were more than willing to fight if we needed to. Funnily enough, we didn't actually hear anything back once our solicitor wrote back. And I feel very strongly that that is because we had the evidence to say, okay, this is the police case number where she's turned up at the school and upset the child. These are some of the behaviours that we've got evidence of. This is what's happened here. So that is where my personal experience actually ends with this because there was no permission for access. There was no contact order applied for. It was a threat And that's incredibly common. And at a later date in another episode, I will be talking to somebody whose parent did go through the whole process and who was granted access and how they worked through that and what the next steps after that were. But for all intents and purposes for this episode, I wanted to talk around the process and what can happen and what to expect if you do receive that solicitor's letter. So say you're like me and you've received the solicitor's letter and you're kind of in that phase where you're thinking, oh my God, they're going to take me to court. What the hell do I do? Well, the good news is that if one or both parents or guardians object to the grandparent having access, there is likely to be a hearing. And in that hearing, you would be able to put forward your reasoning for stopping your parent from having access to your child. You'd be able to explain your point of view, why you feel that they are detrimental to your child's mental well-being or physical well-being, and why you feel that they pose a risk to that child. So one of the things that we were told in preparation in case mum did decide to move further down the process was that we needed to write a log of everything that had happened, including any times police had had to be called or any behaviours that were simply unsuitable. By the time we'd actually finished, Adam and I had what felt like a dossier of shitty behaviour that we had jotted down, whether we'd remembered notes, times, dates. We had a police case number where we'd had to call the police after mum had turned up at the school. We had occasions when Reuben had spoken to grandparents about being told to lie or being told horrible things about mummy and daddy. We had occasions when the kids had been given things that we'd asked for them not to be given. All of these small things that might sound like small family disputes or small little niggly things that are not a big deal added towards showing a pattern of behaviour that was detrimental to the children because that's what it was. It was detrimental towards the children and that's what counts in these scenarios. Are you going to be a positive influence in this child's life because if you are come on in the more people that can be positive even if we don't particularly get on the better but if we don't get on and you weaponize the children or we don't get on and you portray the same behaviors that you portrayed towards me as a child and now towards the children then absolutely those need logging and acknowledging as as what they are toxic and damaging and that cycle needs to stop 
Okay, so you've got to the point where you have cut contact. Whoever that family member might be, they no longer have access to your children. And what's so often missed in this conversation, especially when we are on the receiving end of solicitor's letters and it's going to a court process, is the actual well-being of the children and is helping them to understand what is going on at an age-appropriate level and helping them to navigate the big, big emotions that come with all of this with the whole drama of it because whether we like it or not our immediate family including our children are quite often suckered into this space because of toxic behavior that we're trying to protect them from and you cannot protect them from everything but the question remains how do you talk to children about estrangement how do you help them to understand the situation that we're in anyone who is in an estrangement situation or even low contact where you still have some contact with a family member but you monitor their behavior because you know that it is dysfunctional and it can be toxic will have had the questions of why don't we see so and so or will we see such and such this weekend or even having to deal with I didn't like it when they did this what should I do and it's really difficult to know how to respond because you don't want to fall into the trap of bad mouthing and become the bad guy yourself you don't want to fall into the trap of trying to influence the way your child feels about a situation. You want to be able to listen to them. You want to be able to communicate honestly with them. But equally, you've got to be able to give them some answers as to why you don't see that person or why you only see that person at certain times and why things are very fractured with that person. And it's really difficult. One of the things that I think does us the biggest disservice is that we forget how observant and intuitive children are. We absolutely know that this is why childhood trauma can be so difficult to heal from. We know that this is why emotional abuse in particular in childhood can have such deep-rooted trauma and have such a huge impact on us in our adulthood. Because children pick up so much on the unspoken, they're so observant and they see so much of what we as adults either turn a blind eye to or completely ignore. And they pick up on the vibes. If you are not relaxed when a certain person is in the room, children pick up on that. If you are anxious when a certain person is mentioned, children pick up on that. And they're not things that we can necessarily control. They're just things that are. And if they're busy picking up on the unspoken, I think we do ourselves such a disservice by not turning that into the spoken to allowing them to verbalise in a safe space how they feel about certain situations and indeed us verbalising how we feel in that situation in an age-appropriate manner without trying to just shut down or think that it is too much of a grown-up conversation for them. I talk a lot on my channels about open, honest communication with my children and I want to talk a bit on the podcast about what that actually means because I think quite often it sounds like just a bit of a push term. Oh, we have open, honest communication. Okay, yeah, great. But what the fuck do you actually mean? For me, one of the biggest things with open, honest communication is that my children know there is absolutely nothing that they cannot ask me about. There's nothing that is off the table. They're not going to get in trouble for asking any questions at all. If they have something that they don't understand and they want to talk to me about it, they can do. There is that open communication where they know that they're not going to be scolded, they're not going to be sent away or told that they shouldn't be asking those questions. They also know that I won't lie to them. 
And just because I don't lie to them doesn't mean that we're sitting there giving them all of the details in the world and having some kind of pseudo-therapy session. Far from it. It is a basic response to a simple question. And invariably, I have found that with my children and with other children, that is enough to respect the fact that they have asked the question and to give them a simplistic answer that covers all bases, really. One of the simplest examples to give you is when they asked, why does Momo not live here anymore? Which is what they called her. Why why is she not a part of our lives anymore? And we said, because her behavior towards me, towards you, towards daddy is not kind. And just because somebody is a blood relative or we love them does not mean that we have to tolerate that behavior because we can put boundaries in place to say, hey, that's not kind, that's not okay, please don't treat me like that. And if you do, then you only leave me with the solution of taking myself away from you and walking away. We actually spend so much time saying to our kids, walk away if someone upsets you. And then when it comes to a family member, it's a big shocking thing that we have done said thing that we're teaching them to do. It's not a foreign concept to children. We tell them all the time to walk away when someone hurts them. So they were quite content to accept that baseline answer. And then when it came to deeper questions, they could build on that and they could ask questions knowing that I wasn't going to lie to them. I think one of the hardest things, and it goes back to children picking up on vibes and picking up on the unspoken, the unseen, is when your children want to ask you questions about the person, but they're not sure if they're actually allowed to speak about that person because they know that doing so causes you some kind of emotional pain. We make sure that the children know that my mum and topics of discussion about my mum are not off the table. If they want to bring up a good memory that they have of her, then great, let's remember those good times, that's wonderful. If they want to talk about some way in which she did something that hurt their feelings or made them feel sad, then that's absolutely fine, we can do that too. We make sure that the person in question is not a taboo topic, that nothing around any of this is a taboo topic. I mean, I'm I'm doing a podcast about it for God's sake, but it's super important for my children to understand that when we make something taboo, when we make something a no-go topic, it becomes a shameful topic and it becomes something that we make toxic for ourselves. We can talk about my mum. We can talk about remembering fun times. And in that initial period when we first asked her to leave and the relationship first broke down completely, there was a period when somebody would mention something that happened with Momo and all three children would pause look around as if to say, oh, are we going to upset somebody by mentioning that? Are we allowed to mention that? And every single time without fail, I would make sure to say to them, guys, you don't have to worry about that. We can remember all of the good times and celebrate those good memories and still enjoy them and hold on to them. We can talk about the times that weren't really big things and just mention her in passing and it not mean anything. And we can talk about the negative times. None of this has to be something that you feel frightened or ashamed to mention. 
and then things would move on. Now, a couple of years on, we've reached a point where we can just mention more and more in passing and it's not a big deal. It doesn't mean anything and it doesn't have to mean anything. And that's really telling for me. And on other occasions, the kids will come out with things still, even now, three years on, that they were told or that hurt them at the time that they've remembered and want to talk about. And again, that's absolutely fine. We always hold space for them to do that. And I think the crux here is that we hold space for them. They don't hold space for us. And that's a huge difference because in my upbringing, there was a lot of emotional parentification where I was expected to be my mum's standing girlfriend, standing spouse, standing therapist and listen to her talk about things that were really inappropriate or be her emotional sounding board. And it was really damaging for me because it's never a child's responsibility to hold space for your emotions and to hold space for you. It's your responsibility as a parent to create that space for them. It's not a two-way street with a child. So whilst I'm always there, if they want to talk about anything, anything at all, whether it be negative or positive or whatever, the boot is not on the other foot. They're not expected to listen if I want to talk about things. And that's where we fall into bad mouthing. And I think bad mouthing in itself is always, always problematic. Even if it is warranted, it's problematic. And believe me, it's warranted here. And it's warranted in so many situations, but it honestly serves nobody. And you might be listening to that thinking, well, how the hell am I meant to tell my children anything open and honest and factual without bad-mouthing? Because their behaviour was bad. It was awful. And that's how we've ended up in this situation. Like, I need to be open and honest on one hand, Harriet, but then you're telling me not to badmouth. I mean, how how do I navigate that? And we have a bit of a running joke in our house with a saying of facts are fine. And Toby will quite often throw it at me if I think he's stepped out of line. And I'll say, hey, don't speak to somebody like that. That wasn't kind. And he'll go, well, facts are fine. And I'll say, yeah, facts are fine, but it's how you deliver them. And that's that's the crux of this. Facts are fine. It's how you deliver them. The fact is that the behaviour was bad. The fact is that the behaviour was toxic and damaging. The fact is that you probably tried to set a boundary or were not allowed to set a boundary and it wasn't respected or it just didn't exist because it was too toxic. All of those things are facts, but it's how we deliver them that's going to make the difference in this situation. It's going to be the difference between bad mouthing and just simply delivering the fact. So for example, when my children have asked me why my mum's not in my life or their life anymore, especially in the beginning, I could easily have turned around and said, she did this, she was a toxic bitch, she was narcissistic, she was awful to me, she bullied me, she belittled me, she made me feel unhappy, she did this to your dad, she did that to this person, she was terrible, and go on and on and on and give them details and use language that's both aggressive and overly emotional. Or I could say to them, well, she's not in our lives anymore because her behaviour was really unkind and we don't have to tolerate someone's behaviour just because we love them or they're related to us. Her behaviour was damaging and I asked her to stop and she couldn't respect that boundary that I put in place where I said I wouldn't tolerate it and I wouldn't I wouldn't accept it. So we ended up in a position where I had two options, go back on my boundary, which makes it pretty pointless and just get on with it as I had been doing for years or I could turn around and say, hey, this cycle needs to stop and you can't respect my boundary, so you're not going to be in my life anymore. 
and that's what we did. And that's the difference between the two. It's not necessarily being unemotional or uncaring. It's how you deliver it because facts are fine, but it's all in the delivery. I am also a big old advocate of therapy and not just for yourself, but for your children too, if you feel that that's necessary, especially when you have older children or teens who have big emotions and who have maybe experienced quite a bit of damaging, toxic behavior aimed towards them. I haven't felt that that's necessary for my children, but I would not hesitate to take up that option if I felt that it was something that would help them to navigate the experience and to deal with their big complex emotions because sometimes we all know what it's like the old adage of oh sometimes it's easier to speak to a stranger and sometimes it is sometimes even for children it's easier to step outside of that family dynamic outside of that closeness and speak to someone who doesn't know any of the family members and say these are the things that I'm worried about and I don't think there's anything wrong with that or anything that we need to fear. I know growing up I had a really negative outlook on psychologists, psychotherapists, um, therapists, counsellors because the woman that my dad had an affair with and then subsequently married was a psychologist and my mum made sure that I was well aware of that and that I saw psychologists, therapists, people who worked in the mental health field as someone to fear, someone who would deliberately mess you up. One of her favourite sayings used to be, people only go into being a counsellor or being a therapist to sort out their own shit because they've got their own problems and they want to be able to understand that and then they project that onto everyone else. Now a portion of that I think is true. I think a lot of therapists, counsellors have gone into that field because they have experienced something or experienced a behaviour that has encouraged them to want to help others and to want to learn about psychology. And a lot of people that go into it are just fascinated by psychology. But I do think that it is there is some truth in that, that people who, her favourite thing was damaged people become therapists. And perhaps there is a bit of truth to that, because you feel an urge to help others navigate the situation that you've lived through and there is nothing wrong with that that's not projecting your experience that's simply being a human being and wanting to forge those connections and wanting to make a better experience for a fellow human being and I think that's quite an admirable thing but that's certainly not how I would have viewed it as a child and so much of that was coloured by the way that my mum reacted to therapists and therapy and her views surrounding that And I think so many of my childhood experiences could have been mitigated had I had that professional help. I spoke to my own therapist not so long ago and said to her that I remember being about four, five, maybe a little bit older and being court ordered to see a therapist and actually not having the worst experience with them. I think they got me to draw a chart to show whether or not I was happy. So I'd stick a smiley face on and then I'd stick a sad face on and my mum had really fought tooth and nail to be able to sit in on that session. The therapist had had to come to our home. She'd made it as difficult as she humanly could. But overall, the findings from the therapist was that I was struggling with my parents' divorce and that I was struggling with my mum's toxic behaviour and that my mum was incredibly difficult. 
rather than take this on the chin and just be like, okay, now I need to make some changes within myself because this is damaging my daughter. My mum then took it upon herself to make a point of saying this therapist was a friend of my dad's and his wife's. This therapist was someone who had been coloured by them and really twist things and give me kind of this fear of seeking that professional help which is how I ended up waiting until my 30s to really commit to working on myself and seeking that professional help to come to terms with the things that happened in my childhood and that happened in my older years and that trauma that I'd been living with. When I'd mentioned this to my therapist she'd said this was something that she came across so frequently and was so common because instilling a fear of therapy a fear of or even just a shame around it you know I'm sure so many of you will relate to experiences of being told oh therapy is for weak people or losers or my mum used to say I don't have time to be depressed depression is a choice and if you are depressed then that's because you don't have other things to be getting on with I'm a busy single mum I have to work I don't have time for that I don't have the luxury of it which is everything we know about depression and about psychology is just a ridiculous statement and yet that was the attitude that I grew up with so for me to actually step into therapy was a a huge thing. If speaking to a therapist is not what you feel is right for your child and you don't feel that they need that, then I would also recommend looking around to your village to create other safe spaces where they feel that they can speak to people. My kids know very much that they can speak to their other grandparents if they are stressed or upset or they feel like they want to tell them something about their experience with my mum. They know that they can do that and that my grandparents are not going to badmouth, not going to get upset, not going to react in a way that is detrimental to them. So it creates that safe space around them in addition to just what we can offer them. And also school, I think it's really easy to forget that school is there to support your child as well as to teach them. Obviously for us, with my mum turning up at the school and trying to arrange secret meetings, there was that fear that she might try and take them. And previously she'd been on the list where she could take the kids home with her in case myself or Adam was stuck in traffic or whatever and we needed an extra person there was my mum and his parents on that list and she'd actually been taken off that list prior to the estrangement quite a significant period of time beforehand because we weren't comfortable with her having them without someone else present but when the estrangement actually happened I did feel comfortable to reach out to the kids teachers and say hey look this is kind of what's going on at home and this is how it's affecting them. At the minute, it doesn't seem to be affecting them particularly, but would you be able to let them know that you are there if they need to speak to somebody else? Would you be able to keep an eye on it and kind of monitor their behaviour? Because we often know with children that when they are stressed or they are upset, they don't verbalise that. It comes out in their behaviour and in the way that they react to things. So having school aware of that situation was brilliant for us and we were very fortunate that we didn't meet any judgment from that. I know that won't be the case for everybody but I think enough social workers, teachers and people who deal with children on a daily basis who are in toxic or abusive situations will know and will tell you that you sometimes have to protect your children from the people who are supposed to love them the most. So they're aware that those situations happen and they are aware 
that judging the parent who's made this choice is never going to be helpful. So invariably in my experience of the people that I've spoken to, it's been nothing but supportive. And that additional support can make such a difference to your children. And that's my advice. That is how I have helped navigate this experience and how I've helped my children work through their experience of estrangement from a grandparent. I truly hope that this episode has been helpful for you. As is always the case, if you have any topics or you want to share an experience that you'd like me to read out on the podcast, then please do get in touch via my Instagram or TikTok, which is at Toby and Rue. You can also hit me up via email, which is Harriet at tobyandrue.com. So far, there have been so many amazing suggestions of topics that we can cover from the community. And I feel like this is going to make a real difference to people listening and being able to navigate their own situations in the comfort, knowing that they are not the only ones. That's the whole point to this podcast. So yeah, please do get in touch with me. Next week will be the first episode where I will have a guest and I am so excited for you to hear that, to listen to that and to share their knowledge and wisdom. So until then, I've been Harriet Shearsmith and together we are Unfollowing Mum.